0: I'd like to welcome you to our service of worship as we gather together as God's people. Please stand and join us as we sing his praises together.
1: Father, we are uh, in awe of who you are, of your desire for relationship with us, and the links you're willing to go to have this kind of relationship with us, to save us, to redeem us, to restore us. And we come today in gratitude and thanksgiving. We ask that you will help us to, to sense and to know your spirit here in this place, speaking into our hearts and our lives as we worship together. We ask this through Christ. Amen. Take a few moments to share a word of greeting with others. Maybe extend that time a little bit.
2: Testing one two three. Can you hear me? Good enough. Go ahead. Stand right up here, folks. This morning, we want to do something a little bit special. Last month was Missionary Missions Month, but there were so many things in the program, we didn't have time for this kind of thing. I want to take a few moments to recognize and say a special thanks to three outstanding couples in our church, and they've had long-standing roots in Houghton Community and the church, which is unusual. For over 50 years... Each of these three couples, and you can look in your bulletin insert, who've had service, and let me just list some of the things these three couples have done: church planting, literature, work, pastoral and professional leadership training, North American mobilization, Bible translation, language development, radio engineering and management, nursing, discipleship, and major field and international leadership positions. What a list! Three couples. There must have been ten couples. <laughs> and what amazing folks. We're not sure how many churches can claim to have three couples in their fellowship representing over a half century, sounds old, of servant leadership for the King of Kings. You'll find that brief outline in uh, the bulletins of each couple's work and we're actually honoring one couple in each service today. Please take that home with you, don't leave it here for the excess paper file and fill in the things that we don't have time this morning to talk about. In each service, we'll be honoring one of the couples. Bruce Bruce, and Donna Hess. You've seen them, did you know? They have labored for the Lord with OMS mission in Colombia, in Ecuador, South America, and in North America. They are unceasing in their promotion of missions and God's work, unceasing. I believe they don't plan on stopping till the Lord returns, mm-hmm. and I think they're going to live till the Lord returns. <laughs> it's an honor to walk alongside you in this community. Wes, you want to present them?
1: Well, we we really want to uh, give thanks to God for calling them and for their faithfulness to uh, His work around the world, and much of their work in the last number of years has been in North America recruiting, helping others get to other countries, which is such an important thing to do. And they have been a, uh, a catalyst for that in uh, many ways for a lot of people's lives, as well as a lot of college students. And, uh, and they're sensing their call and affirming that. So we want to thank you both for your faithfulness. We have a, we have a color um, a copy of what's in the bulletin and, and also a plaque that just uh, says, Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples, First Chronicles 16.24. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank, you.
2: Thank you, Pastor Wes and Pastor Paul, and all of you in the congregation who've known us and prayed for
1: us. Donna has stood by me for more than 50 years in this work,
2: and it has been a joy and satisfaction to be surrendered to the call of Jesus Christ. And like uh, Joshua in Joshua 24, it says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much.
1: Um, I just wanted to mention a couple of other things. One is that uh, we. Uh, remind you about the uh, the races on Wednesday night. This is an annual event for uh, our uh, our children, and uh, we named it the Buddy Keith uh, annual sailboat and race car event. And the reason for that is Buddy was so instrumental in helping so many of the children uh, build their cars and uh, cut out the boats, and just so involved in that. And we want to honor his his uh, work and memory with them. And everyone's invited. doesn't matter if you have children that are a part of this or not. We'll have a nursery. We'll have games and things for the younger children. And uh, just a chance to cheer on our, our children as they involve themselves in these races. And uh, so we want to invite you to that and be part of that, Wednesday night, 6.15. And the other thing is just to make sure that you remember next Sunday we turn our clocks ahead an hour. We lose an hour of sleep. Uh, but just want to remind you of that and hopefully you'll be reminded of that as the week goes along, but just want to put that bug in your ear this morning. We are so privileged in all the ways that God has blessed us. And, um, one of the ways in which we give back to God is to give to him out of, uh, our resources. And so we're going to ask the ushers to come and assist us as we do just that.
0: The head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. The Savior knelt to wash our feet,
2: now at his feet.
0: in vain was borrowed for three days his body there name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected King is resurrecting. The resurrected King is resurrecting.
1: As so we gather together to join our hearts in prayer, if you'd like to come use the altar rails, a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Precious Father, we come today acknowledging that you are God. We come to this moment together because we know that life is difficult. It's it's a struggle many days. We feel the the squeeze of all of the uh, the necessities and the burdens of life, responsibilities, the disappointments. And we come to this moment recognizing that our hope is in you alone. Because we know that you are good and merciful. Because you are the almighty God who, who hears our prayers and, and acts on them in the way you know is best. So Lord, we come to this moment of prayer to declare that we trust you. We know you hear us when we pray. We come today with a wide variety of struggles and burdens, fear, anxiety, greed, lust, power, self-centeredness, gossip, anger. We come with unrealized expectations. We come concerned about our families and our friends, about our work, about the world. So, Father, we we come and lay the, all of these things at your feet. We trust you. You are at work when we can see it and when we can't. We pray today specifically for all who are grieving and ask that you would bring your comforting presence to every grieving heart. We pray for all struggling with health concerns. Restore Emmett and Ken Stonemetz, Ben King and Doris Sepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Laurel Bucher. Bill Getty, Warren and Ella Woolsey, Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck, Everett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklark, and others are on our hearts, our minds today. We pray your healing power for each of them. We pray, Father, for uh, our church and the ministries of our church, and we thank you for the ways you, are, you help us to disciple one another and to care for one another. We pray for churches around us. And today we, we pray for the Wellsville Bible Church and Pastor Kenyon's. Your grace be upon this congregation of believers as they serve you and one another and their community and beyond. Father, we pray for uh, this world and the needs of our world. We think of so many refugees and so many who are live daily with, with the threat of violence and disasters. We ask, Father, your healing grace and your presence to be so evident in each situation. We thank you, Father, for the work of your people around the world. Today we give you thanks for the Hesses and the Millers and the Shays for their lifetime of service to you. We pray your anointing will continue to be on them as perhaps their their, uh, daily lives have shifted some, but their desire to serve you is still the same. We pray that they would continue to be blessed to be able to see fruit from their labors as you reveal it. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who face so much difficulty because of their their faith in you. We think of Christian families that fled ISIS in Iraq and are now returning and are finding... In some places that uh, life is as it was and they easily return to it. In other places there is destruction and despair. We pray for healing in them, physical healing, emotional healing, and for courage to face a very difficult future. We thank you for being present in our world. Lord, you are good. You are merciful. During the season of Lent, we think more and more about the cross and all that you've done for us in Christ Jesus. It is because of Christ that we offer our prayers today, remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples and us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts
3: Our scripture reading this morning is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 18 to 25. Following the scripture reading, children may be dismissed for children's church and junior church. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, "I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength.
0: Please stand and join us as we sing. There is power in His name. For the stone was rolled away. Mountains up, down before Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Jesus Christ, our risen.
1: All of us like to be right. Am I I right about that? I know I'm right, because I'm right, right? I mean, we all when we get in an argument, we want to be right. And we want not only that, we want people to know we're right. It's not just enough to know for us to know we're right, we want other people to know we're right. And and lots of our discussions or other things, arguments or whatever, uh, a lot of it comes back to we want to be right. We want people to know that we are thinking the right things, that we are following the right people, that we have the right ideology, that, we, that what we, how we see things is right. I, I think that's a lot of what we see happening in the political landscape of our country, not just now, but it's been going on for a long time. Is that a lot of the a lot of the turmoil a lot of the the uh, dissension is everybody wants to be right, and everybody wants to everyone else to know they 're right and it's dry, it drives so much of the discussions and i don 't think the church is immune from that I, I think we in the church we want to be right I mean lots and lots of books that I read if you read underneath the the, the surface of it the the point of the of the book is. I want you to know that you're wrong and I'm right. And, and this is an issue that's been going on a long, long time. Because when you read the book of 1 Corinthians, the passage right before we, we read this passage this morning, verses 10 to 17, Paul, I think, really lays out why he's writing this letter in the first place. And throughout this letter, he's going to talk about a whole lot of things. You know, this is, it's in this letter that we get the love chapter. Chapter 13, it's in this letter that he talks about the the different parts of the body. It's in this letter that he talks about uh, worship and and how we take communion. And and there's all kinds of things. The resurrection in chapter 15, all kinds of things that Paul addresses in this letter. But I'm convinced that it starts with what he says in verse 10 when he says, I appeal to your dear brothers and sisters by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying I'm a follower of Paul, others are saying I'm a follower of Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. And as I read this and think about it, it seems to me that what Paul writes in all the rest of the letter is in one way or another addressing this problem. This problem of unity, or maybe a better way to say that, of disunity. That the church is divided and they're at each other's throats. Why? Because everybody wants everyone else to know I'm right. And there, there is in that whole argument of I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, I follow Paul. There is this underlying sense of arrogance. Arrogance. Because it seems to me when I examine my own heart and when I think about other people's conversations and read that somewhere underneath this need to be right and for people to know we're right, somewhere underneath that is that we're subtly saying there's something about me that's better than something about you. I'm a better person than you are. I I know how to think about things better than you do. I, I, I make better decisions than you do. My theology is better than yours. My philosophy is better than yours. Underlying all of that that need, that obsession to be right and for people to know we're right is an underlying sense of arrogance that we are better than other people. And as Paul goes through this letter, I think in all kinds of ways, he is really addressing that sin that all of us struggle with. And as he begins here, beginning in verse 18, he takes them first to the cross. Everything flows out of that. When he wants to give them the very first solution to this problem of disunity that's rooted in, in a spirit of arrogance, he takes them to the cross. Now, he acknowledges right up front that to a lot of people, the cross is foolishness. It's hard for us a little bit to grasp that. I mean, we have things in our church like this, like this cross here. And we wear crosses as necklaces or earrings or we, we have them, you know, things on our walls at home. We have pictures of crosses. And, and for us, it's not a symbol of foolishness. It's a symbol of greatness and power. And, and you know, when we put up a cross like this, while it, it evokes a certain amount of, Of uh, sadness that Christ goes to the cross, it's really a sense of power. In fact, I was just listening this morning to a song by uh, Keith Getty, Keith and Christian Getty, The Power of the Cross. But think of it this way if you were to put that, the cross, in the context of first century Palestine, it might be that instead of a cross up here, we might have an electric chair or the image of a gas chamber. Or gallows. And we wear around our necks images of an electric chair or a noose. And quite frankly, we would feel very uncomfortable wearing those things. Because they don't signify good to us. They signify everything that's bad. But that's the mindset of, of first century Palestine. The cross is not something to embrace. It's something to run as far as you away from as you possibly can. It is a symbol of shame. It's a symbol of death, execution. This is what happens to criminals. This is what happens to people who are, are the greatest sinners on earth. This is what happens to all the people that we don't want in our society anymore. That's what the cross is. No wonder Paul says it's foolishness to people who don't understand it. To the Jews, it is a symbol uh, that God uh, of, of being cursed by God. In Deuteronomy twenty-one, he says, uh, the, uh, Moses says that that anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed of God, and and he goes on to say, if you let that the body hang there too long, the whole community is cursed. Paul understands that. He spent the first part of his adult life persecuting Christians and doing it and justifying it because of things like that passage in Deuteronomy. And for Paul, to think that people who follow someone who was executed on a cross means that they're either heretics or crazy or both. Because who in their right mind would say, we have found God. This is the true picture of God. And what does it look like? It looks like a man hanging on a cross. It looks like a man strapped to an electric chair. Hanging from a gallows. No wonder it's foolishness. And Paul understands that. Until he, until he has an encounter with Jesus, his whole mindset is, this is not, it's not possible for this to be something of God. It is completely contrary to the, every image we have of God. It's foolishness. And for the Greeks, for them it's foolishness. It's, it's a stumbling block because for them it's all about wisdom. Aristotle, Plato. It, it's, all about, it's all about what you know. And, of course, that feeds into our arrogance because one of the things that we at least think, if even if we don't say, is I know more than you do. I've got a better understanding of this than you do. I, I, I can grasp this better than you can. And to say that something like the cross is the symbol that, that proves that that is untrue makes no sense. But Paul keeps pushing his point. He says, I know you have images of what God looks like, but unless it looks like this, you're missing it. Think about all the other gods in the world that people worship. Philip Yancey writes about being in, at that time it was Bombay, but Mumbai now in India. And uh, talking about taking a walk through the city one day and coming across... Uh, four of the, of the great religions of the world. They're, they're symbols, they're images. He, he said, wherever you go, of course, in that city, you find images and temples and, and things about, about Hinduism. Even, even little carts like vendors would use on the street have symbols of Hinduism. And all of the bright uh, ways of the, the bright paintings and the bright gods that they worship, all of those are, are a part of that. He said, but as I kept walking, I I came to a mosque, very different from the way the Hindus image their faith. Very plain, just a spire, minaret, reaching to the heavens, and and, uh, Allah uh, reaching to him as the supreme God. Everything focused there. He said, then he he went on and he came to a, a Buddhist center. And in the Buddhist center, the, the monks in their saffron robes and the smell of incense was so pervasive there. And it was all about serenity. It was all about becoming quiet. It was all about losing your thoughts and yourself and in that kind of atmosphere. And there was the Buddha with his smile of, of, uh, as the image that represents that. I said, and then I finally came across a church. He said the church resembled more of the mosque than anything else. But the difference was while it had a spire reaching to the heavens at the top of the spire was a cross. He said, you know, I've known about the cross all of my life. But in that context of all these other religions and all the images and all the symbols of these other religions, all of a sudden the cross jumped out at me like never before. As a symbol that everyone else wants to avoid. It's the kind of symbol that, that you, you want to run from, not run to. And yet, it's the symbol of God's people. It's the symbol of our faith. And in many ways, it doesn't make sense. You think about the gods of the, of the world that people worship, and, and often the, um, the way they are visualized is, is you win by power you know you if you're going to be a god then the whole point of being a god is that you don't have to mess with the stuff that human beings have to mess with you have you have power that human beings don't have you have wisdom that human beings don't have the whole point of being a god is that you don't have to deal with all that stuff it you know it's sort of like being a parent if you can't tell your children what to do and control their lives what's the point right you know so so you there's this sense of of the gods saying you know what we we that, that's not how you operate what god does yahweh does jesus does he he embraces this sense of humility and vulnerability he embraces all that the cross represents in that culture and in that day death suffering pain humility vulnerability All of the things that, as human beings, we do our best to avoid, Jesus embraces. He is unlike any other God. No wonder it looks like foolishness to people. It reminds us again that the kingdom of God is counterintuitive how we typically think. If we were to start our own religion. I don't think it would look like this. I don't think it would be focused on the center. The center leader of our religion. Dying like this. It would be about power. And wisdom. It would be about convincing people in any way we possibly could. That we are right and they are wrong. And yet here is Jesus, who comes to this earth, not in royalty, not in the places of power, not in the temple, but in poverty and humility as an infant. And he begins his ministry in the -the out-of-the-way places in Galilee. And he ends up on a cross. There are some people who want to remove the cross from our whole understanding of our faith. I was just reading this week about someone who said, you know, we, it's time to let go of the, of the Jesus of Calvary and to instead just focus our attention on the teaching of Jesus. Because that, that's really what, what we ought to be doing. But the reality is if you, if you remove the cross, then Jesus' life makes no sense. I mean, if you remove the cross, then it completely changes everything that Jesus says. It nullifies everything that Jesus says. Because if you remove the cross, then the the, the Beatitudes make no sense. If you remove the cross, why would we care about the poor? Why would we want to be poor in spirit? Why would we mourn about the the sins of the world that people commit? Why would we choose to be meek and humble? Why would we choose mercy instead of, of vindictiveness? Why would we possibly embrace persecution for our faith if there's no cross? It would make no sense. Turning the other cheek would be crazy. Walking the extra mile would be stupid. Giving up our lives would make no sense at all. All of the things that Jesus teaches, all the way that Jesus lives, would be absolutely nonsensical without the cross. And the reality is, when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus' life moves him toward the cross. Anybody who is around Jesus, if they were really thinking about it, would be saying to themselves, this is not going to end well. I mean, Jesus, look, if, you, if you, want to, you want this thing to work, you're going to have to be nicer to the people who are in power. You're going to have to cut some slack to the Pharisees. You're, you're going, you can't speak to Herod and Pilate like that. You can't, you can't hang out with these kinds of people. You can't forgive those kinds of people. You can't do these kinds of things unless you realize where this is going to lead you. And it's not going to be good. When you think about the life of Jesus, the, the least surprising place he ends up is at a cross. And as I ponder that, the frightening thing about it is that if we are disciples of Jesus, it says something about the direction our lives are going to end up to. If we're disciples of Jesus, then people who watch us and look at us should be thinking, that may not end well. They're going to end up in a place of complete vulnerability and weakness. And quite frankly, when I look at how these people live, what nothing could be more foolish. I mean, why do we come together every week? You ever think about that? I remember one Sunday, so I, was, I was sitting in the back. Someone else was preaching and I was listening to the cars go by. And I thought to myself, I wonder what these people think. When they drive by and they see all the cars in the parking lot... I wonder if people think, those people out of their minds. Why would you spend your Sunday morning doing that? Don't you want to sleep in? Aren't, aren't there some things on television you could watch, on some places you could go? Surely there's better things you can do than that. And, and these people who give their money to the church, much less 10% or more of their money to the church, and people who give their time and energy to the kingdom... And people who sacrifice for others, and people who, who start food pantries and soup kitchens and hospitals, people who do all of these things, who live selflessly, they're crazy. There's no way to get ahead. And, and it, you know that's why he says to people who are perishing, "It looks like foolishness." And it does. it's the way of the cross. And the scriptures tell us in a variety of ways that the way of life is the way of the cross. And often we do everything in our power to fight that, to reject that, to try to get around that. And yet we come back to what Paul says here, that the way life is the way of the cross. So what does that have to say about our relationships? What does that have to say about our fight, our struggle to be right? What does that say about the disunity between us? Paul's not saying that we don't stand up for the truth. Paul is not saying that, that we don't have... Have the the right and, and the and with the privilege and that we should he's not saying that we shouldn't speak the truth that we shouldn't we shouldn't be a presence for the truth he's not saying that we can't disagree with each other in fact sometimes disagreeing is one of the best ways to learn but what's the spirit in which we disagree what's the spirit in which we stand for the truth? What's the spirit in which we communicate the heart of our faith and what we believe? Is it a spirit of humility and vulnerability, or is it a spirit of arrogance? Is it a spirit that says underneath it, I'm better than you are? Or is it a spirit that, of love and compassion and patience and grace? And in our disagreements, we all have them. Are we willing to to acknowledge we're not perfect? We don't know everything. And maybe, just maybe, part of the problem here is not just them, but it's us. Because somewhere along the way, we've gotten our eyes off the cross. And we put them on ourselves. I was reading an article this week. The title intrigued me. It said, Lent is back to mess up our lives once again. And the author goes on to talk about the various things that he does and doesn't do during the season of Lent. But, but that, that title just got me thinking. Because there is something about that. There's something about the season of Lent that leads us, more than any other time of the year, to focus on the cross and to realize to realize how much we need to continue day by day to embrace Christ and the Spirit of the cross. And it does mess up our lives. Because it shakes up the normal way we think and the normal way way we do things and often the normal way we relate to other people. And it calls us to a spirit of humility and vulnerability. To a spirit of compassion and patience and mercy and kindness and forgiveness. It calls us to a spirit of self-sacrifice and self-giving when everything in us wants to do exactly the opposite. Obviously, I have no idea what kind of shape your relationships may be in. I have no idea what what, something, what in your life God may be at this moment putting his finger on to say, that's a place, that's a relationship, that, that's a spot where, where you need to look at the cross. But the one thing I do know is that all of us have them. All of us. The question this morning is, is our prayer, are we willing to ask God to give us a new vision of the cross to change our perspective or not. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness to us. We thank you for the cross. We pray that as disciples of Jesus, we might understand our relationships, our lives, our decisions in the light of the cross. And even though it looks like foolishness to lots and lots of people, we know it's the way of life. So give us grace to embrace it.
0: Please stand and join us as we sing. I once was was lost lost in in darkest nights, yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy in life, had led me to Indifferent to the cross You looked upon my helpless state And led me to the cross And I beheld God's love enslave You suffered in Yeah. Uh-huh.